The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a more or less family-friendly celebration of all that is geeky. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and along with my daughter Ella... Hello! We are two generations of geek. This is episode 43, They Aren't What We Thought They Were, the first in our epic multi-part special Grup Edition reviews of the entire Alien film series. We're starting with the prequels, Prometheus and Alien Covenant, as Ridley Scott returns to reinvent or retcon or something, the xenomorphs he started way back in 79. But first, remember you can find us online at generationsgeek.com, which includes handy links to all of our episodes. Now, on with the show. We've just watched Prometheus on the DVD. I saw it in the theaters. This is your first time. What are your immediate reactions? I'm... I need to be cleansed. I need to <laughs> meditate. What's the place where Doctor Strange goes? Somewhere in Kathmandu. Are you saying this all in a bad way or a good way? I'm... I just... It started out so strong. <laughs> let's get specific. Let's start... Let's talk about the actual very opening scene. Where you see giant white guy... Handsome Squidward? <laughs> does he not look exactly like Handsome Squidward? He does kind of look like a Handsome Squidward. Yeah, yeah. What did you think was going on there? What was your first impression? I still don't know what was going on. He drank the the liquid from the vases? Mm -hmm. I don't... And then he melted. And then we saw his and DNA. And then he gave us like a negative five Olympic dive off the water. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we see his DNA kind of recombining in the I water. Should, I should rephrase. After that scene, it started out strong. So they seem to be saying straight off, okay, here's this guy. They've infused a, uh, a lifeless planet, uh, easy enough to assume that it must be Earth, uh, with their own... And, and, and of course, Is that what was happening? Well... We saw, after his body dissolved into the water, we went into the water and we saw the DNA spirals. Yeah. And then, of course, later on, when they confirm that the engineers, or handsome Squidward's, DNA is a match for humans, then we can assume that even if that opening planet wasn't Earth, that that's exactly the same thing that, they, that happened on Earth. And, you know, I'm assuming we're supposed to infer that it was sort of ceremonial in some way, because, you know, my immediate question was, okay, so you want to seed life on this planet, maybe just have your DNA in a spray bottle and give it a little spritz. But instead, <laughs> they dissolve themselves. They, like, an engineer has to sacrifice himself to seed the planet. I don't know why. I... It, just, it left me scratching my head when I first saw it, and it doesn't make any more sense to me. Um, to be honest, the first shot is like a shot of just a dude like in a robe, like on this yeah. like like thing. There's nothing except for like water, and my first thought was me, and then my second thought was it's Luke from Star Wars. <laughs> oh, because of the robe. <laughs> He's just standing <laughs> by the water on a rock. <laughs> Oh. And then I was like, it's Handsome Squidward. No way. He's made out of marble. Yeah. 
I should probably just say up front, I did not like the movie when I saw it originally. I thought it was kind of ridiculous and pointless and, and build up of lots of people doing stupid things. Uh, when I watched it this time, I was, as often happens when you rewatch a movie that you didn't like, all the stuff that annoyed you the first time around, you know that it's coming, so it doesn't bother you as much. And so I found myself not being as uh, turned off by the whole thing and just watching it for the action-adventure and the special effects, because, of course, it looks gorgeous. But, okay, so we get the prehistoric opening, and then we move to the main characters, Shaw and Holloway, uh, digging up another uh, cave that has... So they find a cave painting with this pattern of six dots on it. And so from that, they're able to... It's like I can't even synopsize the thing without laughing. I don't understand. The so I... the dots are in the same formation. But then how does a 2D picture of dots translate to a star system exactly the idea that six is dots... it how you're because then it has to be how you're viewing it from like a specific point at a specific point in time right because the universe is constantly moving right. and expanding exactly um, and that's shout out to my astronomy professor at umd Holla. Boom. that's why the idea that finding six dots on a cave painting wall or in other uh prehistoric pictographs the idea that that could lead them to exactly a particular planet and moon. I mean, I guess. Is just laughable. If you really wanted to, if the engineers are that extremely advanced, they could have predicted when in time people would figure it out. Well, and, here's what we could infer. But they weren't the ones who left the dots. Right? Like, well, they, ancient civilizations but, left them? But, so. but the engineers would have had to show them the pattern, because there's no way the ancient civilizations could have seen the pattern in the sky because it was oh, too yeah. far away. Now, here's what you can infer. Although there's nothing in the movie to actually imply this in any way, because there's little in the movie that makes any sense whatsoever. But, since they found these dots on different patterns covering thousands of years, we could try to infer that there were enough differences in the pattern to account for the drift of time that they could then have used that to figure out but I don't even want to finish the sentence because it's ridiculous because there's not enough accuracy in dots on a wall. It's like you see this cave painting and it looks like the dots that represent each star are like four inches across. <laughs> and there's the six dots and it's like, how do you get astronomical accuracy when you don't have a pinpoint when you have a big I mean it's just it's the, the whole ancient astronaut kind of angle is annoying and laughable to me and and remains that way on uh, second viewing but we can just sort of say okay we'll suspend our disbelief 
Let's just imagine that they're able to find the planet where this comes from. Do you want to just then move on and continue to discuss? Did you have further comments on the setup? I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying to yourself, Ridley, why did you feel that Alien needed a prequel? Why are you trying to answer the questions that no one asked? <laughs> I don't even know what question he's trying to answer. Well, Where the a... aliens came from? Well, but see, I don't really... Yeah, that's, that's, to me, that's another point. This movie, to, this movie, to me, seems like two or three different ideas for a science fiction movie that he never quite figured out, and he sort of stuck them together and then said, hmm, why don't I just make this an alien movie, too? And then but he then it has grafted the, it in... The weird overarching Christian theme? It's a mystery. With the cross? The cross, I guess and I'm, it's on, and the guy with the Christmas tree. I'm just like, I'm still processing. I need to like, I need to like see a psychiatrist. And like, weed okay. out my feelings. Although I noticed that you did like it when we, so when we, when we leave Earth, and it cuts to the ship moving through space, it was actually on your birthday when it showed the date Holla, <laughs> solstice babies, December 21st, for the win, Christmas so, in space. Um, one should, thing I should liked... We, should we talk about the space flip-flops? One thing, one thing I liked was, uh, so they're using the whole Prometheus metaphor. I don't really... And Prometheus, well, they didn't really go into it to really leverage it. Which, which is fine, because they kind of left that to... If, if For people in the audience who are more familiar with the Prometheus story, you, you get a little bit more out of it. Is it from the Bible? Is that why I'm not... No. It's this, not from the Bible. This is a, a, a Greek-Roman uh, oh, then I'm, I was kind of... To, to be honest with you, I was kind of hoping it was from the I, Bible, because I mean, I can excuse myself for not knowing something <laughs> from the Bible a little bit. And I can't remember... But, like, not really. I'm actually blanking right now on whether it's Greek or Roman, and if there's the, the analogous story in both of them, like okay, there usually is. But it's, it's Prometheus... Roman. There's an archaeologist somewhere screaming. Prometheus <laughs> uh, stole fire from the gods. What they okay. they have a line where they say Prometheus w was uh, um, upset by way the, the, how the gods had treated humans, or that he wanted to help the humans with the gods, or something. I can't remember okay. exactly what yeah, the line no, was. Yeah, no, I think I'm remembering but, the story. Yeah. But then, yeah, what what Prometheus did is stole fire from the gods to give it to the humans, and then he was. I think okay, yeah. Punished by like having That's... his liver and forever eaten out by a... By eagles. By eagles or See, something. See, it's coming back to me. See, I, now I'm happy you with myself encountered, I remembered. Uh, then, uh, I can't remember, did you get around to reading uh, Frankenstein? No. Okay, because, see, Frankenstein has... It's titled Frankenstein or Prometheus Unbound, and there's a whole... Whoa. Prometheus God situation going on there, too. X-Files anyway, theme plays. So, one thing I liked is that Prometheus stole fire from the gods... And when we're seeing uh, Creepy David, the android... I kind of love him. But he's also creepy. No, he's creepy, and he definitely poisoned the archaeologist, he, but... He poisoned, he watches their dreams while they're sleeping, he's creepy... To, okay, if you were by yourself David. for two years, and yeah. you had the ability... And you were a robot, and you had the ability to watch the people dream... But... But, of course, he's also been programmed by the evil Wayland Corporation, so... Uh, yeah, also, to, to yeah, do these things, robots are just, just like Ash, just like Ash think, in yeah, Alien, yep. he's been given directives to help, you know, <laughs> the company do its evil 
stuff. Except he bleaches his hair. Except he bleaches his hair because he's a fan of Lawrence of Arabia, yeah. one of my favorite films of all time. And what I keep trying to uh, get to is, so there's the Prometheus, Prometheus thing about stealing fire, and then they show this great clip from Lawrence of Arabia where Lawrence puts out a match with his fingers. Oh! And so there's this little fire thing going there. It's like, oh, that was kind of fun, especially for me who the loves... The trick is not minding that it hurts. Exactly. One Will of my favorite Potter, lines from... I, I, I love Lawrence of Arabia. I do um, think it, it came across like I was making fun of him, but I do like that he's an android and he sits and like drinks his like lubricant like wine and bleaches his hair <laughs> while watching old movies. And like he's like that's he like kind of me like as his, a robot. He's kind of like parting his hair. Kind of he's like w trying to look he's, like Peter O'Toole yeah, in Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, which is I love Peter O'Toole. That was the I mean that was the greatest scene. <laughs> I was so happy watching that scene. I was like, this is lit. This movie is about to be amazing. I can't believe everyone hates it. And then I just um, fell off a cliff into some water, and my DNA changed. Yeah. Okay. So. So then they get to the planet, and then things really start getting weird because you have allegedly a ship full of scientists. And they are just all the most boneheaded people. Okay, but here's okay. Here's the thing, though, is that I want to talk about how for like a hot minute, they were so close to completely pulling off this like casual spaceship crew vibe. The same vibe that Alien has when they wake up and they're all mm -hmm, like eating mm -hmm. breakfast and they're like making fun of each other and like all this stuff. Yep. yep. Um. And then it just you know yep. it went downhill from there. It, uh, yeah. So that yeah, they did a good job there of, of kind of you know capturing that. And um, you know the aesthetic but... is really all I care about. So. <laughs> <laughs> the gritty and space aesthetic. They're going. They're going on on this planet. They've never been to it. They they have no idea what's on it. And and Shaw right away is like no weapons. This is a scientific expedition. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure they thought they didn't. Well, I guess but, they did but, think there were life... Okay. I mean, that's just, like, going completely... You know, it's like... To be fair, he was holding a flamethrower. And true. she was like, maybe not with the flamethrower, <laughs> bro. But, yeah. um... Yeah. yeah. But you'd think they'd have some defensive weapons. It's like, that might... Doesn't seem entirely uncalled for. This is why Star Trek strange... is just the height of science fiction. I'm sorry. Well, and here... <laughs> here's the other thing that I can never quite understand in the Alien films... And actually, I'm referring only to, at this point, Alien from 1979 and now Prometheus. Because it's always very unclear whether or not humans have already encountered any sort of extraterrestrial life before or not. They they're never... Very, they're so casual about it, they have to... They don't react at all to, like, when they see... I mean, they don't react in a, like, this is entirely new to us way when they see something that has to be an extraterrestrial spaceship or something. And yet, they never say anything that refers to any extraterrestrial life. That's because like you would, the movies are called Alien, and if there's more than one alien, like... <laughs> and so you're left with... You're left with... Either they've never encountered extraterrestrial life before and then are remarkably calm about doing so. <laughs> or they have encountered other extraterrestrials, and then yet never actually say anything about them ever. 
I mean, it'd be like if I went traveling through Europe and you know that, but but never mentioned France. <laughs> it's just like, you know what I mean? It's like at some point you'd think you would say, "Oh, this castle in Germany reminds me of a castle in France," or. You know, this extraterrestrial from such and such planet kind of reminds me of those things we saw on such and such. They never say anything like that to imply I mean, they've could... encountered anything. And yet when they see alien structures, they're just like, eh, like it's no big deal. doesn't make any sense to me. The, I mean, motive... you could argue that the majority of the aliens they've encountered have been humanoid and or similar enough to humans that the aliens yeah. are different enough that you wouldn't compare them in any way? Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a weird vibe I get that it's like, it seems to me it should... It is, I did notice that when he, because he gets like, when um the two like dudes are still stuck in the in the ship, in the in the alien, in the handsome Squidward ship, mm -hmm. um, and he gets like a ping. He's like, I think there's a life form out there. And they're like, um, what? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I... Yeah, the whole interaction there is weird. <laughs> like... <laughs> Okay, so I let's... don't even understand why Idris Elba is in this movie. <laughs> like, I feel like he usually has like a thing going, and here's just like I don't know, man. I like play an accordion and like <laughs> drive the ship. Yeah, let's go back to sort of going in chronological order here. Do we ever go in chronological? Order? No, but so they they go out into the alien structure that they find on the planet. Yeah, they start mapping the place with a little. You know the the pups. The pups by uh, the guy who I just refer to as Angry Ginger, <laughs> the geologist. <laughs> He's like, I love rocks. So he releases the mapping things. Yeah. <sighs> Cue howling. But then the sci okay so and then the scientists all they get into the thing where there's breathable air so they just all take off their helmets because it doesn't occur to them that well there could also be you know things in the air that we don't want to breathe in but. They did scan it though. Well, they the just, um, but they just, Liza Aaron was. Like, but they only. Was like it's cleaner than Earth. Yeah, but she seemed to be only referring to the chemical makeup of the atmosphere, You're right. and um, not to the idea of like microorganisms and and who knows what. But okay, we'll let that go. I do have <laughs> like to. That so that many... actress plays a character named Liza Aaron in Game of Thrones. Oh, that's what the... I noticed you react when, when she She, like when a she creepy, like a creepy character. Like, not necessarily like an evil character, more like a like a chaotic neutral character, but mm -hmm. creepy nonetheless. And so hearing her speak and seeing her voice, I was... Hearing yeah. her speak and seeing her face, mm -hmm. I was just like, this, this isn't gonna work. Whatever your real name is, I'm sorry. They take off their helmets, they start looking around at all the various uh, artifacts... Things start going wrong because there's a storm coming in. They have to get out of there. Uh, David is pursuing his, you know, secret mission. He's gathering up stuff that he shouldn't. I just... And uh, here's... And then, you know, so we've already seen the characters do a bunch of questionable things. They take off running. We have to get out of here. And earlier, Angry Ginger and Glasses... I just good job. Yep. <laughs> Angry Ginger and Glasses, they get scared and say, we're out of here and take off. Then they get the message that they have to evacuate. Everyone else runs out. They get out to the vehicles, and they say, damn it, they've already taken off. And they all jump in the vehicle vehicles and go. But Angry Ginger and Glasses are still back in the ship. Because they 
they got so, lost somehow. Because they got lost even though they were the mapping guys. And even though later on when the captain contacts him and says, where are you? Glasses immediately gives him a set of coordinates to explain right where they are. So how they I mean, got, although, how they got to separated. To be fair, coordinates are one thing and like tunnels and a ship or yeah, another, but, but, but still. And yeah. then when, 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 when the rest of the group ran out and said that they've left already... Well, what were they basing that on? All the vehicles were still there because they hadn't left already. Maybe Hanson Squidward took one. Over and over and over again in this movie. It is weird. Just it's, ridiculous things it's happen. It's weird that Ridley Scott... Any... I mean, it's... Well, but it's not weird because here's the thing about Ridley. Oh, boy. See, I don't think he has any real... <laughs> this is overstating it a bit, but it's like I don't think he has any real big picture sense of story. He has an incredible talent with visuals. He knows how to put together a very atmospheric scene. But as far as judging whether a script makes sense or not, I don't think he thinks that way. I don't think, I mean, he picks scripts. I don't know how he picks scripts because if you look at his movies, he does a wide range of movies. Some of them are the most amazing films ever made. The Martian. Blade Runner. Other other ones are just like, what is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. So we don't know, we don't know why the group thought they'd already left. We don't know why they were still there. But we've already hit one of the big retcons because... Uh, when they find the decapitated head, they say, oh, this isn't an exoskeleton, this looks like a helmet. And so the body that we saw in Alien in 1979... Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that, that means was, that that was a, like a spacesuit. Yeah, but they say outright in Alien that the bones are bent outward and you see the, you know... But then here, it's like those are like the ribs on a on a spacesuit. Yeah, the I didn't the, like it the retcon. looked really weird. It's like their spacesuit looks like a skeleton. Yeah, well, that was purely like, because that's the retcon. At the very end of the movie, when he's fighting with that like squid alien, mm -hmm. you see his feet and you can see toes. So the suit goes. I just. Yeah, it's I, a lot. I, I, I didn't get that at all. I mean, it, I mean, it was purely because he wanted to tie this film more in with Alien, and even though it didn't make any sense, is like, well, how am I gonna make these aliens the same as these other aliens? We, yeah. He's like, anyway. what I want is a large, buff man made of marble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so who wears tiny speedos that look like tiny togas yeah i know so they get back to the ship with the head and then again here's the part i don't understand what were they doing to the head right before it exploded i don't know it's like they were i didn't understand it's like at first i was like oh they're like stimulating the nerves so it's moving and then they're like no no no, stop and it's like okay so you're somehow reanimating just this head and the head starts like screaming yeah and it's like what is going on and then not like, to mention the fact that they they take the alien head it's already like starting to decompose and do weird things and they're poking it with stuff and they they don't even have their masks up it's like yeah. you should be in a full hazmat suit but they're just there with you know it's I only mean, after to be fair the the not caring what that's a theme in the first in alien when the who's the guy that first gets the face hugger kane when kane's lying on the table and they're just in there like chilling with it 
true. Chilling true, with it. <laughs> but uh, they also weren't, I mean, Ash didn't care because he was an android, and none of the other people were trained uh, scientists, really. They were just like the crew on this ship. That's, you're completely right. They Where were just in this like, thing, they're all supposed to be trained. They were just like paid to be in space. You know, so I They were like know. miners or something, yeah. right? So they're poking the head. So they're poking the head, things go south, it explodes, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I can't believe that I had no idea that um, Prometheus was this graphic. I'm... It was so... Like, aliens already... The alien movies are already <laughs> inherently violent. And yeah. I almost lost my mind. They took it to a, a new level a bit in this one. Like my... Like, but then, let's see... Like, I'm in shock still from just that first scene with the, like, unevolved face hugger. Well, here, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit a couple of points here. Back on the ship, David, pursuing the company agenda, decides it's a good idea to spike Holloway's drink with the black goo that he brought back from the alien ship to see what happens. Just so he does that on screen? Because I didn't notice. Yeah, when he broke open the little sample thing that he brought from the alien ship, he puts a little drop of it on his fingertip, his index finger. And then when he goes in and he's talking with Holloway, there's kind of this big deal made. He's holding the glass like with his finger. He's like got his finger out. And then when he pours Holloway the drink, he puts his finger in the drink and gives it to him. He very purposefully spikes the guy's drink with the black alien goo. So it's so he was so slick that me as a viewer who was supposed to see didn't. Interesting. I am kind of oblivious though, to be fair. I miss things. Meanwhile, Angry Ginger and Glasses are still trapped by the storm back at the structure. The I don't know if structure. I can even talk about Angry Ginger and Glasses. They're trapped there because they got so spooked early on that they ran away. Okay, like to okay. like me though. Like honestly, yeah. that's exact. That'd be me. I'm but, out. Like I would be running. But when creepy snake tentacle creature comes up out of the goo, then glasses guys is is like, oh, a puppy. To be and he, go, 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 okay, go, 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 go. but like it's like what's also uh, me. No, <laughs> I, that just. <laughs> that, that to me that was just another that was just complete nonsense that this guy would go up to the creepy alien snake. I mean, he was he thing. was like, um, no. okay, but when you see something small like that and you're in a spacesuit, but it wasn't small. It was like four feet long, three feet was long. Was it though? I thought because I thought they were both. I guess he did say thirty to forty inches. I mean, yeah, he was a little close, but if you're thinking, it seemed like he, to me it seemed like he was thinking of it like a snake. Okay. Yeah, but even so, alien creature snake thing that you've never seen before. Yeah, I af mean... After you've already run away in fear from skeletons. But those were like large humanoid skeletons. I would be, I would be much but less would you scared. Be, you'd be less scared of a creepy living thing that you don't know how it's going to behave than you would be, you, you'd be more scared of dead things that can't do anything to you? I'm, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but I empathize a little. <laughs> As I was watching it, I was like me running away. And then I was like also like me being an idiot. So, yeah, I just, but that I didn't scene find... was so stressful. My note to myself was Ella totes freaks during that, that was scene. the most 
You really freaked out. It was a creepy scene. I like I like jump during movies or I'll like gasp and like dramatically have my hands over my mouth for like a scene. But it that was like a lot. And I don't <laughs> the other thing is that like I don't watch scary movies. So even like the first time I watched like Aliens, which isn't like that scary of a movie, but we were like in the dark and the only lights on were like red lights. <laughs> and and that was like a lot and I kept like jumping and I would like yeah. grab the side of the couch that I was on and like get stressed out. Um this uh so this was a lot for me. That well and once you get past the incredibly unbelievable behavior of glasses and you're actually then now he's being attacked. Oh my god. The scene was incredibly well done for maximum creepiness even, and scariness. I can't even talk about it. I you I have like a, his, I have like a thing about like his arm breaks. big bones breaking yeah. like one of your like your what like one of your I don't I don't remember any of my anatomy right now. <laughs> but any like your leg bones yeah. or like it, your arm like big bones it just builds and builds and builds. Oh my god. Perfectly. And then n- not in because he says it's breaking my arm and I was like nah! and then like it breaks his arm. <laughs> Yeah, and this it does the what's that called when you're when the bone goes out of your skin? It's different. It's Compound called, fracture. He, it's like a comp, and then it, and then it's like out of his spacesuit. And I was like, oh my, like like I already get so stressed out during alien movies with the face hugger thing, and then the aftermath of it when they get inside both of their suits, I just can't even handle it. I can't even talk. I just, and, I don't even know what to. I don't know why yeah. it was different than. Alien or aliens because the face huggers do essentially the same thing. It was, but it was more. It, it was more subtle. In it w- alien. yeah. This was so much more violent. In alien, you see, you see Kane like lying on the table. Yeah. And you get like this. You're like weird. You're like uneasy because there's this thing covering his face yeah. and like somewhere there. It's like instinctually um, scary, and so you get this weird feeling like that's just yeah. not right. At this point, obviously, things are getting really, really bad. Because then they, they rush out to try to rescue them, but it's too late. Then Holloway, who got spiked, he's going south. So, uh, Charlize, Vickers... Yeah. I think this is the I first th- movie I've seen. No, because she was in Mad Max. Yeah. See, I think of... There's... Ice, Wait, she was... There's... Was she Furiosa? Yeah. Oh, my God. There's... There's... What I think of as icy Shirley's and then desert Shirley's. <laughs> I was into the, but like you walk into like her quarters and it, the big screen is playing like this yeah. snowy like forest thing and I'm like. But Vickers, so Vickers just goes. I mean, she is just, she's cold. She so she's she just, a good. That's a good captain though. She's like he is sick. You are not coming on my ship in yeah. any... Like, that's the first, like, smart move by anybody in the Alien series. Like, so, like she's the first person to be like, you're not coming back, dude. Like, it's so yeah, over. So, she torches him. But, yeah, but then she takes it a step further, and when he walks on the ship, and he's like, do it, she's like, okay. I like to think that I would, that if I went to Starfleet Academy, I, I could maybe be, you know, like, be in the, um... Like trained to be a captain, but I I think maybe not. <laughs> I could not do that. You wouldn't be able to torch the guy. I don't. I I have a hard time believing that I would be able to be like, don't come on my ship. And then we have to give a, a call out to Ripley in the original Alien, mm-hmm. who of course was like, 
not going to let Kane back yeah, on the ship. Yeah, yeah, And Ash, you know. I lied. I said she was the first and she wasn't. Nope. Because Ripley is the original ride or die. <laughs> <laughs> then we find out that Shaw is essentially pregnant. That was a weird... Okay, I'm just feeling so sad and let down by the movie I don't want to be mean because at the beginning I had so much hope, but it's it's just like he turns and he's like, like he like this is like, he's like well well, you're pregnant, and it's like uh <laughs> like, <laughs> and then he says three months pregnant, and then you expect it to be like a heartbreaking thing where like she couldn't have children and she she, she unknowingly she was already three months pregnant with her now dead ex's child but then he, but then it's like no she's just pregnant with um a squid yeah that's so rapidly uh evol you know growing that he can first... we talk about the um so then sexist medical pod oh but no see but that was a clue what was the clue the sexist medical pod yes and i didn't get this when i first watched the film either the medical pod was there for old man, not for Icy Charlize. So that's why it was only programmed oh. for male medical procedures. But like, also, like if you're, it's 2093. Yeah, yeah I mean, it you is... make a, you make 12 <laughs> medical pods because they said specifically there's yeah. only, tw only 12 of these were made, and then you program it only to be able to work with the male. Body only, you know, when you th there's not it's, too many differences, pal. It is well, yeah. It, it is kind of ridiculous that you wouldn't just make an all-around medical pod, but although it did do it, sort the, of. But the reason why, yeah, is because it in was this for, film, it wasn't, yeah, is because they were, you know, they were giving you little clues, you know. Like, I mean, at the time, like I didn't even realize that they were still in her quarters. Like I thought that was a different medical pod somewhere on the there ship. Was like, a, I didn't even realize it was because you know on. there was a scene. I where, was too stressed out. There was a scene where Vickers comes across David talking, like he's yeah communicating with someone. Yeah, and you don't know who it is. Yeah, and then there's this thing where it's like the the medical thing, the medical pod is only programmed for male procedures, and so there there were these little hints that the old guy was actually still there. But see, then the whole like old guy trying to find a cure for himself. It's just another one of the muddled other storylines that it's like, well, what is this movie really about and why is it set in the alien universe? And actually, during a lot of the pre-production on this film, Ridley Scott was very coy about whether it was an alien film or not and seemed to go like back and forth on it. And at some, it seems to, if I remember correctly, at some points he was kind of saying it's set in the same universe, but it's not really related it's like he couldn't even... It's like they couldn't decide how much they were going to actually tie it in. And I think that shows because it is just a muddled story. But let's... Um, so Shaw's pregnant. But then... So they're going to put her in stasis. Like in a cryogenic yeah, chamber so or something. Stops. So a couple yeah. of doctors come in and finally they're actually like in full suits. Finally someone does something smart. But then she attacks They're them. They're like, she's pregnant with an alien. I think it's yeah. time. So she attacks them. Yeah. And runs off. But then here's the thing. What? 
They never, they never come back. They're they just never gone. make any yeah. reference to the fact that she, and then that even, she, she walks into the room in her underwear with staples in and, her body, and they're yeah. just like, "Oh, it's you." And 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 then and then and David her, like hands her a robe, and that's it. Yeah, it's like there's never. I mean, granted, a bunch of stuff starts happening all at the same time, but there still seem to be a long time. It's like she knocks a couple of people down by beating them in the head with some you know heavy object. And then she runs around, she gets into the med pod, she comes up with a way to program it to get this like tumor out of her because she has to trick it because it won't do a cesarean section. And during this whole time, apparently, the people that she attacked didn't say anything like, you know, she's running around in the ship with Like the baby. nobody called security? Yeah, because we don't know when, when the squid baby's going to pop, maybe we should try to track her down. <laughs> And then when she sees them later on, it's like one of them even has like a bruise on the side of her face from her whacking yeah, her in the head. Nothing. They don't even say anything. They don't even look at her. There's no... And then later the squid baby is still in there. Yeah. Nobody was like, maybe we should like shoot this into space. Let, okay, the Let's cesarean see. scene was unnecessary though. That was a lot. It was a lot, but you know what I like about that whole sequence is... That Shaw, yeah, she like out Ripley's Ripley there. I mean, she's she, just like, yeah, goes and takes care of business and gets Because at first, it's, it seems like she hasn't even had like a painkiller. When the laser starts, yeah. she's like screaming. Because she has to like remain in control and see what's going on because she's trying to trick this machine. Yeah, because she can't be fully unconscious. You're right. Yeah. And so it's like, that was really amazing it's hard. like it was what? hardcore hardcore taking care of business maybe ripley wasn't the original ride or die <laughs> just kidding but did she fall into a flaming pit of lava clutching her alien baby <laughs> to her body flash forward yeah and then so yeah things are going crazy because somewhere in here then angry ginger shows up reanimated corpse that's crawled all the way back turns into killing machine because he's just like wiping out all these other characters that uh, we've never seen before. Yeah, you barely all, knew it's existed. The, it's the red shirts. Don't worry yeah. about it. They do take care of business with him, though. They really like they they so they roll Robert, over him with the tank, and then they let him on fire again. And well, as yeah. like, they're shooting we're, at him, so then she staggers into the room where old man is, and you find out that this whole thing has been about him hoping to meet his even, makers before he dies because maybe they can cure him of old age. They didn't even play like the international mo movie music for something insane that you can't fathom happening. happening. <laughs> like they didn't even play the like and like she didn't even like, like stumble around trying to figure out what was going on. I wasn't entirely convinced by the old man makeup. Yeah, he looked like he was wearing makeup. I don't understand why they... Yeah, it wasn't that great. There were scenes that you were supposed to see him younger, but those scenes didn't make it into the movie, and, and so they had hired... Deleted scenes are such a racket. Just let it be four hours long. <laughs> Nobody cares. So David wakes up an engineer, and it turns out the engineers are jerks. I don't even understand what... And it's like for a second he just stands there like, whoa, this lady is yelling at me. What's happening? And then two seconds later he's like, now you're speaking a language I understand and I hate you. Screw you, old man. Theoretically, this might be something that will be answered in Alien Covenants. Which is supposed to be good. Just what is the motivation of these engineers? So they created life on Earth, but then they decide, no, we have to eradicate the entire planet. If Covenant has it Christian just, themes, just, I'm going to punch myself in the face. It just doesn't... I, I, I don't really get what any of it has to do with... Uh... If I were a Christian person, 
and suddenly there was a science fiction movie with Christian themes, I would be overjoyed. Obviously, I hope this is not the case for any Christian person because this movie is bad, and I hope that someone <laughs> delivers unto you what you want and need, but there's no reason for Ridley Scott to be pushing this monotheistic... I don't even under... I don't even know how to describe what was going on. It's like... It's I shouldn't it's... even say monotheistic because it's it's Christian. It's Christian because she's wearing the cross, but... She keeps saying, like, I believe, and there's whole thing with you choose what you believe, and then she's like, well, I believe that aliens created us, and it's like, okay, so you either, but you're wearing the cross. Yeah, it's very, it's very, unclear. it's very muddled. I don't understand and why it's there. Right at the beginning of the movie, after they see the old man hologram, and they get up to give their little speech to explain to the people why they're there, she says... You know, I believe the engineers engineered us. But there is zero evidence. It's like they found six yeah. dots on a wall, and she's inferred from that, oh. Aliens created these us. These aliens created us. There's, you know, and, and so, like, when the other scientists in the audience kind of start laughing yeah, at Yeah, and I liked that glasses immediately was like, do you have evidence and, for yeah. that? And they were just, like, laughing. Yeah, um, and she had absolutely no evidence whatsoever. Also, I like But then it that, turns um, out that she was exactly right, but then it's like, they're not what we thought they were, because, yeah, they were going to exterminate us. It's like, it's so muddled. I like Everything that about Ebola it is, so is still muddled. a problem in Africa in 2093. You know what I mean? Like, your father died from Ebola. Yeah. How did you know that? It's like, there's no cure for Ebola in 2093? Like, I don't know anything about Ebola, except for it's like, it's like poop or something, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm thinking of E. coli. Am I thinking of E. coli? I've I'm not a doctor. Ebola <laughs> is, a, is a very deadly retrovirus. Yes, I, yeah, I definitely that's... thought I was talking about E. coli for a second, because yeah. beyond it having three syllables and starting with E... I, I can't differentiate, apparently, but um, <laughs> so, still, I feel like by 2093... Yeah, I don't know. So, anyway, we can kind of wrap up our discussion of the various strange things that happen in this film. So, the reawakened engineer goes crazy, starts killing everyone, everything starts falling apart, the captain realizes that he has to sacrifice his ship to keep the alien ship from going back to Earth and exterminating all of Earth. So he crashes into the classic alien ship that we first saw in the 1979 film. It reminds me of... And then there's this hor the horrible scene where the thing crashes to the ground and it's rolling... And they're not and running horizontally instead the, of vertically? Yes. It was a strange choice of words What's, on your part, but but yes. I don't know how else they're, to describe They're running in a straight line instead of just running they're to running, the side. They're running in the path of yeah. where the thing is rolling It's like, instead of just running out. It's like, it's so... Yeah. It's always you, a... Th it's like in every movie where something tall falls, people are running in the path yeah. Of where it's falling instead of just running like just to, run to the, the sides. Side. It's like sometimes when you're driving and there's like an animal in the road and it just keeps running down the road a, a straight ahead from your car instead of just running <laughs> oh off my the, God. the ditch. And you're just like, rabbit, get off the road. And it just keeps running straight. <laughs> uh, rabbits, I understand though, because they're just rabbits. They don't know. Rabbits. There's just like a thing coming at them and it's bright like the sun. They don't know. They so... just want to go back to Watership Down. But <laughs> people... Have a concept of physics. But then David, beheaded David, torn off by the engineer, he's still trying to look out 
for Shaw, even though he's, like, ruined her entire life. Yeah, he doesn't really make any sense. I guess he's like, I'd rather continue to watch Lawrence of Arabia instead of lie here for eternity. Yeah, he warns her that the engineer is coming for her, and then uh, she lucks out by having giant squid. The squid baby now is all grown up. (laughs) And so... Squid baby is grown up. Squid he takes... He's a full-size squid. Yeah, so squid but takes lives, care of the he engineer. he lives in the air instead of in the water. I like when she goes, die! Then David convinces her that he can help her still, so she goes back for him, even though he uh, killed her guy and got her impregnated with an alien squid baby. And then things keep falling on her, like, on her uterus. Yeah. Like, people... Like, that one guy, they were like, to shut her up. And he hits her... In the, it's like low blow, dude. Right in the cesarean. She had an alien baby inside yeah. of her, and her body is stapled shut, and you had to hit her there. Yeah. But Give her a break. She goes back. She actually goes back and, and saves David David's head and body. Um, I feel like there's lots of moms who saw this movie who have had cesareans, <laughs> and they were so mad. Because I was watching, and I was like, she's just going to stand up and keep going. And she just stood up and kept going. And I'm like, yeah. I have some mixed feelings about this. <laughs> One of the things that I uh, kind of like was that she takes off with David. Then we come back, and we see the engineer, who then has a chest burster kind of thing happen to him. But the thing that comes out, instead of being like a little guy, like an alien... Yeah, it's not a face hugger. It's like, it's like a baby big one. But see, what I liked about that, what was kind of interesting about that, was that it was sort of this prototype xenomorph yeah, yeah. from Alien and Alien. Yeah. So that was uh, kind of a cool tie-in. Okay, we've basically made our way through the entire film, have done a lot of critiquing, because you really had much the same reaction to it as I did when I first saw it. I mean, just really a, um, an overwhelming sense of just like, hopelessness. Like, what the what? And sadness. <laughs> you know, what did that mean? What did this the really... negative side of nihilism. I just, <laughs> I just think that it would have been so much better... Well, maybe not so much better, but I, I would have been much more interested in seeing a standalone science fiction movie as... as as much as I have problems with the, I mean, the ancient astronaut concept in general, if he had just done a movie about that and not shoehorned it into the alien universe, I think it could could have been a better film. I don't know. But I, I just found it to be an incredible muddle of half-baked ideas piled together into a single film. And not good half-baked, like Ben and Jerry's half-baked <laughs> cookie dough brownie swirl. What really needs to happen is um, all large-scale Hollywood science fiction and fantasy movies just need to hire us as independent <laughs> consultants. Now we'll go see Alien Covenant and see if any of that helps, in retrospect, make this movie make more sense. You know, I'm worried about it because I, one of the things that I really disliked about Prometheus was some of the retconning it did. In the original movie, you're not wondering, well who made the alien creatures, what was their purpose. It's like, well, they're just a life form that happens to have this particularly brutal life cycle. I'm sure it made perfect sense on whatever planet they evolved on, but now when it gets introduced to, like, humans and stuff, yikes. (laughs) But then apparently Ridley said to himself, well, no, what people really wonder is where the aliens came from. So I'm going to explain that 
by turning the whole thing into some sort of experiment by these engineers who made life on Earth and then tried to, uh, uh, you know, I don't even I know. I just, I feel personally attacked by all the scenes with Shaw where she's just clutching at her uterus. It was brutal. There's no need to call me out like that. But... <laughs> You don't have to come at my life like that. <laughs> but she was very strong and forceful. Yeah, I she think was a very that I would, character. Just, I would just let myself die. Although her thought processes <laughs> were completely muddled. If by... there was an alien baby inside of me, I think that I'd be like, it's time. Yeah, but you know... not. I just wouldn't be another th the kind of person to let a machine tear it out yeah, of me. Yeah. And then she pulls the... It's like there's an umbilical cord and she's like, uh-uh... Boom! She's taking care of oh business. Oh my god, I... Well, and, and of course, you know, that actually then it, it's set up as a echo, a flash forward, a however you want to say it. You made reference to Alien 3. In Alien 3, Ripley becomes impregnated with an alien. And so you see these two and versions. And she just lets herself fall into the lava. She... Which I think is what I probably would do too. And, uh... Yeah, and was, the cliff into the lava is right there. You just pretend like you're in the Lord of the Rings, and you just let go. <laughs> well, but she was in a position where she really that was had to yeah, do that, that was the only option she but, had. Yeah, they're and both rider dies. Even though overall I felt it was forced into the alien universe, there are a couple of times where it sets up these echoes between the films that were like, oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. It just, you know, wished that the film had been better overall. He definitely could have made this into something that was much more of a deeply terrifying and traumatizing horror science fiction movie instead of it being this awkward prequel because some stuff just isn't right. <laughs> Before we get going on Alien Covenant, let's talk about a deleted scene from Prometheus, which I referred to while we were recording that segment because I said mm -hmm. that I thought that there was a scene where we had seen uh, the Wayland character uh, young instead of being in the awkward old man makeup. And his face still looks strange when he's young. <laughs> I just roasted that actor. Sorry, dude. So there's a faux TED Talk. Which is the lamest TED Talk I've ever seen, by the way. That's fair. <laughs> I think it would have been kind of awkward to have that in the film. I can understand why they cut it. You can't really insert a TED Talk into something like an alien. Like, it's very, it'd be very awkward to try yeah. to into like but that. there was some interesting stuff in there because one of the things that I liked about it was it does introduce you to that character and the kind of person he is. So he doesn't just come out of nowhere <laughs> later on in the film. Another thing I liked about it is it showed that he was obsessed with Lawrence of Arabia and then, yeah. you, and then, and so once you see, when you see I mean, him, I kind of, yeah. Yeah, so when you see him do the Lawrence of Arabia thing, then if that had been in the film, then later on when David is doing it, then there would be this interesting thing there because you're seeing this creator created thing that they're that they in their muddled way have tried to have as a, a motif through the films. It's just like that ruined part of what was the only good part of Prometheus for me. Do you know what I mean? Like the initial scene with David. Uh, there's just something so interesting to me about androids having interests. You're right. 
I don't know how to describe it. Well, it's personalizing for the artificial life form. And mm -hmm. you're right that although there would have been an interesting thing set up between the creator and the android by seeing that the android was sort of following in Wayland's footsteps with this yeah. uh, Lawrence of Arabia thing, it also would have lessened the impact of that scene with David, which just underscores that it was overall the the best idea to cut that scene, to, to leave that scene out. Okay, so that was kind of a little afterword on Prometheus. So then we went to see Alien Covenant. I had kind of mixed feelings going into it, since my opinion of Prometheus was pretty low. I really had no idea what to expect. I mean, I'd seen the previews, obviously, but I mean, uh, what to expect as far as how it was going to function as a sequel to Prometheus while also continuing the prequelization <laughs> to Alien. Did you have a concept of what you were expecting when you went into it? I was, yeah, I was expecting it to be very good. <laughs> and, and from your tone, I, I, I infer that you didn't think it paid off. <laughs> it didn't. It no. just, it, I just felt like it was messy the same way that, I mean, it was better than Prometheus. I'll say that it was better. And it's something that I would maybe, maybe in the future consider watching again as this, like a type of thing where you're like throwing popcorn at the screen. <laughs> it did very little for me. There are a, f a few distinct problems I would list just off the top. As far as a sequel to Prometheus, it it's just bizarre. I mean, Prometheus spends like the whole film setting up the engineer backstory to how we were created on Earth. And then, I don't know if this was a course correction on, their, on the studio and screenwriter and really Scott's part when Prometheus got pretty mixed reviews because then they just jettison the whole engineer plot within the first... I mean, that's just gone. Later on in the film, when you get sort of the flashback, you find out that, yes, they made it to the engineer planet. David killed them all. I just... I don't even understand. <laughs> End of story. So then it... Instead of being a sequel to Prometheus, it just... In, in that sense, in, in the overall story arc of Prometheus, that's all gone. And now it's just a film about David being nutso. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I, I want to have the police arrest Ridley Scott and like have <laughs> him in an interrogation room. And then I just go in there and I just scream. And there's no words. It's just me yelling. Or like, then like occasionally I'll like have a guitar like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and then I'll just be strumming the guitar, but also just be screaming, <laughs> screaming at him. Because I don't, I don't understand. But it's one of those things where it's like, I need, I need to know. The prequels are out. I don't understand what's going on, but I need to know. <laughs> well, let's, let's take a step back. Both of them, individually and together, I just think that they are incredibly muddled storytelling. First off, Ridley Scott came away from the original classic Alien, apparently saying, the question that everyone wants answered is where did the Xenomorphs come from? And what was the deal with the other alien body? And, and then he ruined it. But see, I don't think that people were wondering that. And to the extent that people were wondering, it wasn't necessarily... Like, we have to know, but it was just a general curiosity. But it's kind of an accepted idea that when you're a storyteller, that it's often best 
to start kind of in the middle of something. You don't need to know everything that happened beforehand. And when you watch Alien, you see, okay, so here's this previous ship that obviously got infested with the xenomorphs. There's no wondering about the xenomorphs. That's like saying, if I watch Jaws, I don't come away and say, well, where was that shark before this? <laughs> where did he come from? It's like, well, I don't need to know. There's no real mystery. It's, it's nature. The question didn't need to be answered in the first place. In the second place, the way that he chose to answer it just made it all very, very confusing. Well, all of that is one thing. And then the other thing is that it appears that the Xeno, they didn't just evolve on their own. Now we know that they were engineered, but... There was no motive beyond I'm crazy and I've become obsessed with this. <laughs> yeah. So we're, so we're asked to believe that these engineers go out and create life on planets. Then sometimes they change their mind and decide to cleanse the planet. Is that even what, the, is that even what happened? That's the idea? Yeah. The reason why the captain in the previous film sacrificed himself to destroy the alien ship was they had discovered that the ship was going to Earth, that they were going to go back and, and wipe yeah. out everything. The idea is that they create extremely complex organisms like people, and then for whatever reason they decide that one needs to end they destroy it with a different type of life yeah apparently and then that life is on the planet like <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> it, it it doesn't it, so and... after a while you just have like these xenomorphs just like running around like it's every so... once in a while you come across a planet and it's like it's filled with these things i don't know don't touch it later in this film when you start realizing how far off the rails that david has gone he brings the captain down into his lair oh my and, God. and shows him uh, like a half dozen eggs. I just really needed somebody to punch me in the face when that scene was playing out. The, in the captain theater. says, you know, what's going on here or whatever. And, and David says, they're waiting for their queen. Yeah. So, well, what sense does that even make? So somehow he got these eggs created but there's no queen it it totally muddles the xenomorphs life cycle and creation and then it's on this one it's like we see the birth of the more recognizable xenomorph from yeah, alien so and aliens for the first time as opposed to the other ones that came yeah. out and then also xenomorphs and then the one at the end is looks much more like the actual xenomorph. The It's black, it's got the same head shape. But if that one wasn't created until then by whatever David was doing, well then, how did it get to be that there's a whole bunch of those in the movie Alien? I guess we're supposed to infer that wherever David has gone with all these poor colonists and he's got a couple of face huggers that he still works with them but when they found what is revealed to be in the prequels a crashed engineer ship but we saw David like wipe out the engineer population didn't we or at least the planet I guess there could have still been ships around I don't know it's so I'm just muddled can we can we talk about how he keeps kissing people I <laughs> <laughs> <They> just can't <laughs> I don't know what any of it is supposed to mean. It's it, it's like, if I were to ask you, what's this movie about? <laughs> <laughs> what, 
what would you say? It's like, okay, there's colonists, there's a crazy robot, there's all these, this talk about religion, there's, there's the throwaway, throwaway line, when the, when the, when the original captain gets killed, coming out of the uh, sleep chamber, or he never gets out of the, the, the hypersleeper, cryosleep, or whatever they're calling it, the new captain is having some trouble with the crew, and then out of nowhere he says, well, this is what happens when you're a person of faith. Like he's, suddenly it's like now it's about his yeah, like persecution like as, as some sort of believer. He struggled so much to get to this point in his career because he's, he's religious. Yeah, where does that come like, from? It comes <laughs> like, out of nowhere <laughs> and doesn't go anywhere. It, okay, we're, we're, uh. We're doing our usual bouncing around all over the place. Should we uh, kind of go back to the beginning? Let's talk. Doing what Ridley is doing. <laughs> Let's. Um, I have an idea. Okay. Let's kind of go back to a chronological approach. Let's talk about the other two sort of deleted scenes that were released as prologues because there's the one prologue that was called the crossing which was just a short little scene between david and shaw as she reattached uh his head to his body which of course eventually realized worst head reattachment ever in the history of head reattachments (laughs) has there ever been a worse head reattachment i don't think so that was kind of an interesting little scene, actually, because one of the things that was interesting amongst all the muddled storytelling of Prometheus was the strange relationship between David and Shaw, because he purposely infected her dude and then was, like, happy that she had become impregnated with an alien, alien mutant squid baby. But then, on the other hand, <laughs> he seemed sort of genuinely happy that she was that she survived. And there's that interesting line of dialogue that actually turns up in Alien Covenant later on, but it was used first in this little deleted scene thing where he's... When she puts him back together, he says, that's the most kindness that anyone has ever shown me. That was really interesting because it was a a hint that maybe we we would get some sort of insight into why David went so wrong. Of course, we didn't, in the end, get any more insight, <laughs> other than just the fact that he was made by the egomaniacal Wayland, who was willing to do anything and everything to not die, apparently. But um. What what did you think of that little exchange between David and Shaw? I liked David so much, and it went so downhill so quickly. And I was mostly just stressed out. <laughs> I kind of liked how he was like, the only thing I really liked is that he was talking about, he was like, it's yellow to yellow, like blue to blue, green to green, like it's meant to be simple. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's cool, like thinking about how like they're making all these crazy um capable androids and yet to fix it it's just like the white it's like <laughs> blue to blue yeah. red to red green to green and that's like pretty much all i got out of it 
I was like, nice. I, too, could reattach his head so he could yeah. later murder me. That's great. <laughs> then the rest of that prologue was just kind of uh, pieced together with uh, elements from Alien Covenant. Um, yeah, like, it. yeah. That was really the, I mean, was that the only new line? Like, it, I feel, it was mostly like... Yeah, just that like little bit Like, it was bit a shot was... of the garden. It was just that bit of Shaw and and David and the rest of the prologue mm-hmm. were was stuff that was uh, in the film and some repurposed yeah. dialogue. That's another reason that makes me just wonder how much the screenplay for Covenant might have changed after <laughs> the lukewarm response to Prometheus. You know, if if Prometheus had gotten rave re- reviews across the board, would we have seen yeah. a more developed confrontation or something between Shaw and David and the engineers instead of just David euthanizing the entire... Yeah. like, like I don't know. Scott was like, well, this isn't working, so... So I'll just reboot. Okay, then there was another little deleted scene that was released to the internet as a prologue. It was called The Last Supper. That showed the crew of the colony ship uh, before they went into their sleep chambers. I liked that one. Well, there were a number of things that were interesting about it. First, it of course actually introduces the captain. In the movie as released, we only see him as a guy trapped in his chamber dying, and then we get a... Which I was so confused about because looking at the pictures out, and like she plays that video, and I was like, that's a Franco... Yeah. <laughs> like, and why is he... I was trying to figure out why they had... I don't know who it was because they all look exactly the same to me and equally terrifying. <laughs> We've discussed on the show before your fear of the Franco brothers. <laughs> Just, they all have dead eyes. <laughs> so... It I was... would not... Like if, like, if one of them was making my burrito at Chipotle... Like, if somebody was making my burrito at Chipotle and they looked at me and they had the same look that all the Franco brothers have, like, I would be so worried about my burrito. (laughs) So, it was nice to see the captain introduced before his unfortunate death. That was a good part of the scene. But, of course, another interesting part of the scene is that they were playing off the meal scenes in the original film where you where you have that camaraderie of the shipmates together around a table yeah, having a meal i don't think you could ever pull off the casualness of the crew in alien it's like it's so it seems so natural in that yeah, movie do you know yeah. what i mean like it oh, well, seems I, something like it's so hard to replicate on camera yeah i think there was a lot more uh ad-libbing going on in the original Alien. Yeah. So that they, yeah, it it had a more natural flow where this one seemed to be more tied to the script. But then there was that fun little, well, fun perhaps is not quite the the right word, but it's the crew having a casual meal together and then the woman starts coughing and, of course, it echoes Kane. Yeah. Even though they haven't encountered the aliens yet, but it kind of echoes that. And then Walter comes in and slaps her on the back, saves her, and and then says, you know, I've got your back, not being aware (laughs) of the joke. That was so... Okay. And that was a nice little bit. That could have... Walter says and does is the highlight of the entire movie. Yes. Honestly. (laughs) I love him. Also, Walter's 
face anytime he's talking to David is me, is my face when I'm watching Covenant. (laughs) I thought, what's going on here? Yeah, Fassbender, Fassbender did do a great job of playing the two characters. That, that yeah. was, there were some acting chops going on there. Even um, just the the initial shot of Walter walking through yeah. the... I was like, nice. So we've discussed the, the two prologue films. So when the movie opens up, first you get a little scene with uh, Wayland and David, which was kind of nicely creepy. And, and... It was kind of frustrating to me, actually. I was just so unexpected that I was kind of like, why is David here? I don't care. But then I was like, oh, it's because he's like a thing. This is like a thing. We haven't left Prometheus behind. Yeah, I would agree that the scene didn't really... It was awkward that it didn't really flow in with the rest of the movie, but it did reintroduce the Wayland character, which was kind of nice since the Wayland character, you only saw him as the old guy in the first we movie. See, we got to see David before he went insane. Yes, We got to see him pick his name. Yeah, and so there was some interesting stuff there, but it was also kind of creepy because Wayland is a creepy guy. Yeah, and David, he's still kind of creepy. But then from there, we then jump to the colony ship having an accident, and that sets up that, you know, just by an incredible chance, they happen to have uh, had this accident within shouting distance of where David and Shaw wiped out the. uh, engineer's home planet i didn't mind that i did mind the captain that what what was the name of the captain that took over after the, the OG captain? captain what was it unnecessary uh... risks mcgee <laughs> like can you imagine if he was like yeah you're right dude like i'm just acting crazy obviously we have to keep going to the planet that we're supposed to be going to. I didn't necessarily buy that the idea of taking a look at this planet was so inherently bad. I mean, Daniels. Ripley 2.0. Yeah. I mean, she's right away just like, this is, you know, she's totally against it. And I don't know that she had much reason to be so totally against it. Uh, I would have been, though. It seemed a little forced, the, the, the conflict there. But well, what was what was stressing me out is that like I didn't really I guess it was fine, but I didn't I wasn't really fully comprehending how advanced the spaceship was. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like, don't stop. That's what was stressing me out about it is I was like, how is this even going to work? But I guess they were fine. They were like Star Trek level spaceship, Star Wars level spaceship and everything was fine. But I was kind of like, why would you bother? Everything was fine until, much like Prometheus, it's a shortcut that's used by all science fiction that you just plop down somewhere and it's like you're just assuming that nothing on the planet is going to hurt you. (laughs) In this case, it turned out that there was all this weird... The only thing on the... (laughs) You know, somehow... 50% of the things on the planet, well, actually 100% are going to hurt you. Yeah, because every life form was killed, so all that remains are the proto-xenomorphs. and Plus David. Which somehow have, like, turned into these little spore things. Yeah, I didn't really get that. It's like, well, wh- how did they sort of spontaneously become spore things that you could step on and then, yeah, I don't know. Although I did like the, like, redesign of the xenomorphs to have them stand. 
like fully upright like homo yeah. erectus xenomorph yeah some of the, some of that was because that was like really unsettling and in an entirely different way than the other alien movies like i don't, I don't even like thinking about it I don't know if you remember this, but in Alien 3, they tried to establish a little bit that, but then it was changed because that movie had a troubled shoot and there was reshoots and, and stuff. So I don't but know they if they take the shape of the thing that yeah, they... Yeah, that, that, uh, that the yeah, chest burster... Yeah, the dog. Yeah. That... Well, in the cut that I watched, it was the dog xenomorph. Yeah, and so the idea that the xenomorph is a little bit malleable depending on its host was introduced then and so when we but go even back the, the people xenomorphs even in alien 3 are not like the one that david was um blowing on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and so it makes sense especially one of the few things that makes sense about the prequels <laughs> is that if you go back and and establish that these things have been sort of m messed with and 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 bred and crossbred and who knows whatever whatever uh, experiments that David was doing, it makes sense that you would then that they would vary so much. So that kind of makes sense in a way. But again, it, it's all backstory that w that's completely unnecessary, and and so much else of it gets muddled. Because here's the thing. In Alien, Ash is not crazy as such to begin with, but he just has ulterior motives on behalf of the company. Yeah. To harvest the xenomorphs, to get the xenomorphs. And then that concept is carried through into Aliens, that the company is trying to get these things. Now, that whole thing yeah. about, like, the company finding out about these things and then tr trying to get them becomes really muddled in the retcon that these prequels do because David is just completely psychopathically nuts. There's no reason given for that. That's something, unlike coming away from Alien, saying to myself, I wonder where those aliens came from, that doesn't come into my head at all. But when I watch Prometheus and Covenant, I say... Well, why was David so nuts? What what was so wrong with him? Why was he because it doesn't seem yeah. it doesn't seem like he was programmed to do that stuff like no, Ash was. The movie definitely becomes this weird like towards the middle and the end. It's like this weird thing where you're like realizing that he's like completely insane yeah. and realizing just how insane and how yeah. creepy. Although with, I like, kind the of drawings and the shot of Shaw's body. I kind of like how the slow reveal of how insane he had become was done effectively. It re it really was very creepy. And then it comes back to the whole creator created thing, which was a motif through both of them. Because now David has become a creator, but what exactly that is supposed to mean. What we're, what we're supposed to take from that, I don't know. This, like you're saying, the creator created religious, ultimately Christian. It's muddled. I mean, it's obviously it's not inherently bad, but it's weird. I just don't think it went anywhere. It's weird that he's, that this is being, like, inserted into the Alien movies. Some sort of, like, I have no idea how to even... I just don't think it went anywhere. It's like, 
it's like they were trying for some sort of profound theme, but all they did was just sort of mention the creator and the creations a few times, and then have the captain randomly say something about being a persecuted religious yeah. believer, and and then just and then it's, nothing happens. It's very weird, and I I don't like it. <laughs> so Aliens was a rip roaring sequel that worked because yeah. it it looked at the first film and said, okay, the first film is essentially a horror film. Let's not do that again. So let's turn it into the, a real like sci-fi military action adventure film. And you get two films that make sense together and are both immensely uh, entertaining in their own ways. One hitting the horror notes more, one hitting the action adventure notes more. Then we come back to the prequels. What are they trying to be? What are they about? What's the genre? Is it sci-fi horror? Is it sci-fi... What is it? It's it's very muddled because there's this whole other storyline about the engineers that seems to just be kind of grafted onto the into the alien universe. And where does it go? I don't know. So they land on the planet. They find David. It kind of builds a little bit nicely at first... You don't realize necessarily that it's the engineer planet because David obviously went out and crashed the ship. <laughs> when we finally get the scene and we see what really happened, he came in, they mm -hmm. were in control of the ship, he releases the bioweapon, wipes out the engineer population, and then at that point he must have decided, well, now I'm going to go crash this ship out in the woods. <laughs> so if anyone else comes here, I can you know, play innocent or something. and But even that is like, what, what is that about? Why, why would he I do just, that? But but no we have idea. to infer that he what? did because there's no reason for the ship to be crashed out in the forest since he came in over the city in control. I honestly didn't even think about that until now. Like, maybe it happened when he killed Shaw. Yeah, and we don't really know... What happened. When that happened. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And the whole Shaw thing, again, it makes you wonder if they jettisoned an earlier version of the script that would have yeah. actually had Shaw back in the movie, because it seems strange to not have Shaw in the film. Going back to roughly chronological, people start getting sick. Almost every alien film has to have a scene where someone's in trouble and they're saying, you know, let me into the ship or let me out of this room, and, the other, and someone has to say, no, quarantine. I'm not doing that. <laughs> And no one ever properly quarantines anything. And it always it always goes south. Here is the proper protocol. When someone is the color of the people who get sick in the alien movies, and you're on an alien planet, <laughs> all you have to do is light them on fire and run. <laughs> and then oh. everything would be fine. The whole way everything went south when they brought the first infected guy back to the ship. Mm -hmm. And the woman that was on the ship was still trying to maintain some sort of control, some sort of quarantine, while she was fighting with the other woman who was trying to take care of the sick guy. The way all that was staged and, and shot was pretty effective because you, yeah. you could believe both of their characters. I mean, the, yeah. the, the woman that had... Uh, dragged the guy back to the ship, you understand why she's trying to do everything she can to help the guy. You also perfectly understand the other woman who's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we have got to lock this down because we don't know what's going on with him. So that yeah. thing played out 
pretty nicely. It wasn't stupid, like the scientist guy saying here, kitty kitty, to the snaky... Oh my god. ...gruesome creature in, in uh, Prometheus. You could believe that these characters would both act the way they did, and you didn't feel that either one of them was being stupid. You just, you know, they were caught up in the moment trying to do the best they could, and there's no way that they could have predicted <laughs> that suddenly something would be bursting out of the guy, and having it burst out of the guy's back was a nice twist. Yeah, that was one thing that was nice about seeing, because we went and saw it in the theater. Mm-hmm. And so seeing that happen for the first time in a theater gave me, like, more of a sense of what it would have been like when Alien was first released. Mm -hmm. Just how, like, shocking and, like, brutal it is. Yeah. And how that has an effect on an audience who isn't really expecting it, even yeah. though everyone was expecting it yeah. when I was there. Yeah. You can't recapture the, yeah, the no. real impact of the Kane scene, which we can discuss more when we when we discuss Alien. <laughs> so things start going horribly south. They did go horribly south in a I, very believable way. That's it was kind of... what I hate about every Alien movie, though, is that whenever it's happening, it's like, this is believable, but I hate all of you and everything. <laughs> <laughs> there were elements that weren't believable. They start getting attacked by the Alien creatures. Because there's the one that uh, got out of the guy on the ship. And then there's the one that comes out of the other guy that they're still trying to carry back to the ship. And they're getting yeah. attacked and they're shooting things and it's crazy. And then suddenly David shows up and says, come with me. But then he has to lead them through this <laughs> place where there's all these bodies. The blackened husks of all the uh, engineers yeah, like there. Yeah, and they they just kind of walk through there, and they're kind of looking at it, but then they don't really seem to inquire much about, so dude, what's with all the corpses? So that was a little strange. But then if the, the worst uh, scene in this one, we spoke earlier about how effectively it was slowly revealed how off David was. Mm -hmm. And it's being revealed to the captain. And the, there's a number of reaction shots where, you know, like David is doing something or showing something or the captain is looking at something and you get the shot on his face and you know that he's thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is around the bend. Yeah. This guy has just left the building. There's something wrong with this robot. And yet... After all that is very meticulously set up, then when that robot tells the captain to look in the creepy egg thing and says, Oh my God, Don't I worry, lost my mind. It's perfectly safe. The captain is like, Oh, okay, I'll look in there. It's like, Dunk. You already have been giving him the side eye, thinking to yourself, Oh my God, this guy is creeping me the heck out. Now you're going to just suddenly look into slimy egg thing because he tells you it's safe? Uh, that was just as ridiculous as the scientist and the uh, creepy serpent snake creature in Prometheus, you know? It just made absolutely no sense. And there was no reason to have him do something stupid because as soon as he came in there and saw those things, he could have said, You know what, David? I think I heard my mom calling me. I'm going to head out. <laughs> and then David could have blocked the way and said... No, there's something I need you Can you to do for me. Can imagine he's like, 
oh, what's that? I think they're calling my name. I'll yeah, be right uh, back. That, or, oh, my tea. I hear the water boiling. I left some <laughs> water on. Have a nice cuppa. But no. Instead, they're just like, well, no, we'll have them do the most incredibly stupid thing you've ever heard. I honestly, <sighs> I am so... <laughs> it's like, on the one hand, I'm angry because I'm like, this is ridiculous. And like, <laughs> n- like n- I would know better. Like, he should know better. And on the other hand, I'm like, I'm just so terrified of David that, like, I'm getting anxious talking about it. I'm like, whew, that guy. The captain, at that point, the captain has already seen David trying to talk to the creepy xenomorph that has ripped the head off of one of his crew members. Oh, my God. And David yeah, doesn't. And David like, doesn't let him. Blow on the nostrils of a horse and it's yours for life. And then he's like, <gasps> and the alien's like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So you've seen like, David do communication. that. <sighs> but then you're gonna look in the egg after he says, "Go ahead, it's perfectly safe." Wow. Men. <laughs> <laughs> See, Daniels took one look and was about to get. She was outie, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so this brings us closer to the big uh sort of climactic battle sequence because then the uh, guy that's in command of the orbiting ship he risks although he's like it's time to go (laughs) yeah although it was a little you know he was risking the lives of two thousand sleeping colonists yeah that was iffy dude i wish that they would have had the uh, the woman, the young woman that was arguing with him about it, I wish they would have had her continue. She kind of gave up after a while. It seemed to me like she should have yeah. kept pressing him. But I think what we're supposed to infer is that particularly after Tennessee learns that his wife has been killed, that from that point on, he's not necessarily thinking that clearly. He's just like, I'm going to save the rest of them. Yeah. But, yeah, it's pretty crazy to risk the 2,000 people on the ship to save the, like, three people that are left. Yeah. But that's easy to say when you find yourself in that position. Very easy to say. You know, it's a it's a whole different world. So he goes down there, and then we have the culmination of the strange David Walter story. So I just we just we need to talk about how Walter is the only ray of sunshine in the cold void of space. <laughs> because Walter wasn't insane. No, so, he no, so he that's was not. That's a check in the credit column there. He was a real good boy. If he were a dog, he would be a golden retriever. And another this reminds me of another nice little bit. There's a th- there's a thing in the movie when Walter and David are talking, and David implies that Walter like has a bit of a crush on Daniels. Yeah, he's like, "You love her," and yeah. David's like, "Huh?" Oh yeah, he actually did just say, <laughs> "Love her." Yeah, because what was interesting is in that deleted scene that was used as a uh, a prologue, the Last Supper, you see some of the interaction between Walter and Daniels. Yeah, that was destroying me. It, it does come across like he's got feelings for her. It and and so if that had Basically, actually Basically, I'm just whenever Walter speaks, I'm just dead. <laughs> if that scene had been in the movie, 
that would have been a nice little Ooh. bit then then later on when when David says that then the viewer would have really you know connected you know but because he does the all the other during the big ending fight he does the like get out like go and I'm like yes he's yelling at her to go it's an android face off I was <laughs> yeah I was that was hype. a that was a pretty cool scene except <sighs> except then that Walter Ridley Scott takes everything away from us and I want to scream at him in an interrogation room for five hours. So he takes Walter from us and we don't get any closure and there's no, no. and there's no payoff because as a viewer, you know, without having seen that scene play yeah. out, you know that David has killed Walter and taken his place. Yeah. And then there's all these shots that are kind of playing off that and and no one suspects him because why would you why would you <laughs> if you were faced with identical twins one of them insane and one of them not why would you think to double check when only one of them comes back <laughs> it kind of oh stretches credibility there that someone's like hmm maybe we should just make sure since they looked exactly the same and the one's been trying to kill us this whole time but if we put that aside... I just... I wanted it to be Walter so bad. Yeah. And it was stretching out for so long. I was like, maybe it's okay. That's the... Well... <laughs> like, lying to myself in the theater. Yeah. I was like, maybe it's fine. His hand is gone. <laughs> Would David rip off his own hand? Which, like, obviously, yes. Without even needing to think about it. It's like, yes, he would do that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would have been more satisfying if we saw Walter die heroically. And we... Even though I would have been crying. Yes. I would have been ready to scream. But then, you know, it's up front. We as the audience know... Yeah, but then, yeah. And then we're waiting. We're waiting. We're, we're like wanting to shout at the screen, come on, it's the other one. And, uh, which we already did because we knew anyway, it was, you know, but it just, yeah, instead it was just, it just came off. Like he was trying to make it seem like, Oh, like you don't know. And it's like, bruh, I think you're not fooling anyone. Yeah. It and it would have been so much more scary. Like that scene where Daniels is like stapling his face mm-hmm. shut. Yep. It would have been so much more scary because they would have been alone together and you would be like, any second he's going to, he's just going to make out with her. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but then one thing that's kind of interesting is since David engineered getting the captain face huggered, then the creature that's born of him is more like the old school, so to speak, xenomorph. And so then you have both one of the other ones and this one running around. So that was kind of cool. I read at one point they were going to have some sort of epic battle between the two of them. The pale white human-sized one, I think they called them neomorphs. <laughs> the one that stood up straight that David was trying to talk to. There was going to be a big battle between one of those and then the one that was uh, born of the captain that looked more like the ones that were in uh, the rest of the I films. Would, um, but I would watch that if Walter was standing in the background. 
<laughs> but in the final version, then it's just the old school xenomorph that uh, leaps onto the ship as they're trying to take off. That leads into a pretty interestingly done action sequence there with Daniels out on the deck of the ship on a safety line. and Yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah, that, that, that was that done well. That seemed very, like alien to me like do you know what i mean like it was very like it just seemed even though it was like a whole new scene it was like that's definitely something that would happen in an alien film like i was like that's on point yeah with this with this series right here she finally takes care of that one they get back to the ship but then there's another one on the ship i can't uh, even remember uh, how it i can't even remember how it got there did do we know how there was the other one there did it come out of someone I don't even remember. One, huh? Yeah, one of them was infected. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. One more person and was infected. And I knew infected. it. And I was like, but that guy's up there. Because you, 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 you have to have, you know, the, the last minute, you know, thing like that. Jonesy. But then it was kind of ruined, I thought, by turning it into a gratuitous shower sequence, which. Yeah, that was. Was uh, so unnecessary. Lame. But then the bad guy won. That just makes me mad. <laughs> David was able to uh, fool them all for long enough that when Daniels, by the time Daniels for realized, just long enough, uh, she was already in her sleep chamber, about to be go to sleep. So there was that nothing. Broke my heart. Yeah, and and then there's the disturbing scene of uh, uh, David regurgitating a couple little uh, face huggers. Okay, can we? I was so frustrated at this point in the movie. And he just walks over there, and I'm, like, sitting there, like, and I'm thinking, oh, no, like, he's going to hurt the embryos. <laughs> and then he throws up a face hugger, and I'm, like, oh, good God, that's disturbing. <laughs> and then he does it again, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of thinking, like, like, at that point, I was thinking, like, he was just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Like until the scene cut. Like I was like, (laughs) he's just going to fill, he's going to throw up like six. Yeah. I don't know. So so odd that it was like, oh, it's not just one, it's two. It's it's, like, it's either one or you, the scene cuts as he's still throwing up embryos. Like (laughs) there is no in between. So it's pretty weird because now the, the movie ends. He's got 2,000 people under his power. He could be doing any sort of experiments on them as the ship goes on. By the time mm-hmm. they get to the plant, they're supposed to colonize. Are there going to be anyone left alive? I mean, on the one hand, Daniels, who quickly becomes the lead of the film, you're most invested in her as a character. That's because she literally is just Ripley with different hair. Yeah. Uh, so she survives. So you yeah. get, you get the satisfaction of her surviving the planet, but then, but then you get the rug pulled out from you because now she's trapped and the crazy android is on there. I just don't like movies that end in sadness. <laughs> well, it really is a horrible cliffhanger, because what it is tragedy. It doesn't really bridge. It doesn't. It doesn't bridge smoothly into Alien. No. And it doesn't even really make sense how they fit together. As I mentioned earlier, now that David has already wiped out the engineers, I don't even know. Then it's like, well, how does that even relate to the dead engineer? You know, when we were talking about Prometheus, we were talking about all the retconning that went on, changing the uh, skeleton into a spacesuit, and now we have 
this sort of different origin story for the xenomorphs. And it's like, well, then how did they get into that engineer ship on the planet and alien? I don't know. And how does the company not already have this in their possession when there's an entire colony of people out there? I mean, it makes me wonder now, so is Ridley planning on doing a third, a whole prequel trilogy, and doing another movie that somehow makes sense of where all this is going? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense so far. I, could he actually... Do you think it would be possible to make a sequel to Covenant that would make the prequel trilogy make sense in relation to Alien and Aliens? Makes sense in the way normal people think, or makes sense in the way... <laughs> Ridley Scott seems to think. <laughs> I'm just in a basic continuity sort of way where you think to yourself, yes, I can see how these events could lead to those events. I really just don't... I mean, yes, because watching this movie, you're like, okay, I connect the dots as to why the Xenomorphs are how they are, I guess. I guess. Even though I'm kind of... I'm, I'm mad about it. <laughs> I just want Walter back. When we finish recording, I'm going to watch the prologue scene again just to see him whack What's-Her-Face and say, I've got your back. And then, like, exchange a look with Daniels. Like, that's all I need. <laughs> so, shall we just wrap it up? I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, we were obviously both very disappointed with Prometheus and Alien Covenant. The movies are hard to talk about because, like you said, what was this movie about? I don't know. For some reason, I just wanted to be about literally Walter just kind of walking around. <laughs> and a bunch of stuff happens in between Walter walking around. Nobody cares about the rest. I'm assuming everyone else cares about Walter as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're doing another addendum like we did on our last episode with Kong mm -hmm. because you have now read the movie novelization of Alien Covenant. And I know you have some comments. But first, <laughs> <laughs> if only this were a TV show, you should have seen the look on her face. I just want to point out that Alien Covenant is by Alan Dean Foster, who wrote the novelizations of the first three original Alien films, Alien, Aliens, and Alien Cubed. We had very mixed feelings about both these films. Now you've read the novel of Alien Covenant. Did it address any of the issues that you had with the film in good or bad ways? Uh, a little. I, to be honest with you, while I was reading it, I was kind of like, why am I reading this? <laughs> this movie was so bad. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but sometimes an author like Alan Dean Foster will do some really interesting fleshing out of yeah. weak spots. Uh, you know, you can't just um, bring characters back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> so um, here we are. So one of the things that we found strange in the film was the out-of-nowhere reference by the guy who has to become the captain uh, <laughs> about being like a, a persecuted Christopher man Orem. of faith. Was there anything more about that in the book? Yes. So what was up with that guy? He's very Christian. Uh, <laughs> but, future Christian? But do we get, is there any sense about why he's been persecuted? No. Where? Nothing, so there's no. Weird. There's just more scenes where he gets to mention that he's Christian, basically. 
I just there's don't know. one scene where he's like he also he he has like these worry beads that he's constantly like clicking in his hand and there's one scene where he's like wandering around the bridge and in one hand he's clicking the worry beads together and he's got a blanket around his shoulders and um a bible just like under his arm like he's just walking around holding it mm-hmm. um I don't, <laughs> do, I don't think people just sort of walk around in their pjs holding their bibles well, on spaceships some... Well, but but I think that you acclimate to whatever your world is. So I think that when I used to ride the bus to and from work, occasionally I'd see people that were sitting there with their Bibles and reading them and very intently and sometimes but he wasn't, with he wasn't rosary beads. It. And, but I mean, for some people, it's a great source of comfort. And yeah, so I don't think it's... Have... Yeah, so I don't think it's necessarily strange. I was just, I was waiting for him to open it and for him to read a quote. Yeah. And but, it never happened. Yeah, what's strange is how they seem to have made this a part of this character that they keep mentioning but not actually doing anything. I with want it. to I want to unlock his tragic backstory so bad. Yeah. The scene but it's just not there. later on when he's this is a to- totally different subject almost. Um when he and uh David are having like their final confrontation and he says, I saw the devil when I was a child and I never forgot him. It's like what does that mean? Yeah. What did you see? It you doesn't... saw you saw Michael Fassbender? Like <laughs> I, I I yeah, I don't get. What about what about the poor uh uh original captain who in the film as it exists, you only see him briefly before he catches fire Same inside. Thing. He's just gone. He's just gone. He's just gone. You, there's no more. prelude, there's no like so... the last supper deleted scene with nothing until he explodes. Huh. There's just one, it's pretty much the same thing in the movie. You get, you think he's just moving and then it's gone. And then in the book, Daniels sort of says, it's implied by Daniels that he had like opened his eyes and was conscious for like one second Mm -hmm. and then it was just gone. And that's really it. Do we get any more of Shaw? Are there more elaborate flashback scenes? No, there's not. There is nothing. Okay. So I was really hoping for there, Foster there really, to flesh out a lot of these weird bits, but there I mean, was there's really only so much he can few, do. He there because really he was given a script that <laughs> yeah. was like what? Like uh, there were honestly a very few moments and scenes that weren't in the movie. Hmm. Okay. Um, and only one change to a scene that was in the or major change to a scene that was in the movie. Um, and so what was this? Um, it's at the end. It's when, um, in the movie, when Daniels is finally in her cryopod, and David, masquerading as Walter, is standing over her, she, like, asks him about the cabin and realizes that it's not Walter because he doesn't remember. He clearly is confused. In the book, she's, like, out. She's outie before (laughs) David does anything to reveal himself. So, like, in the book, Daniels is, like, Lit, it's all fine. Walter helped me into my pod. Like, we're going to Oregon 6. This is going to be great. And meanwhile, David's like... At that point... Getting turned to entry of the gods into Valhalla. <laughs> do... do uh, at what point in the novel is it made explicit to the reader that it's David and not Walter? Not until after... Not until after... Um, the The reader stays with... David after Daniels falls asleep and it says like that he drops his accent and assumes something else 
it doesn't ever say David, mm -hmm. but like he does the like play the entry of the gods into Valhalla and he like touches, he doesn't like vomit them up, but he has like, he has three embryos instead of two already in the, the like cryo whatever. And he like touches them. And that's so like it. during the fight sequence, so, so all those sh scenes in the film yeah. where you as the viewer start to suspect that it's David in those scenes in the novel, is there any suspicion at all or does it just play straight it, it, like... If you were completely convinced that it was Walter, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have ever... There's no moment where Daniels is, like, hesitant. Or yeah. I, there was, like, one moment, but it's not, like, significant, and it's not... She doesn't follow up on it. Like, there's there's one moment where they're just in there, and she has a thought about David, and then it's just gone, and nothing happens. Interesting. Um, because when we discussed the film, I was saying that perhaps it would have been better to either have the audience know right away in the fight scene... And then you have the suspense of knowing something that the characters don't know, or you have the audience completely in the dark, so it's just a huge shock when you realize it's David, instead of the way they went, which was to kind of do this nudge, nudge, maybe it's Walter, maybe it's David, maybe it's, and it was poorly done. I was gonna say so that the, I the book kind of went one of the one of those other ways. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna at first I was gonna say that I I would have been salty if I hadn't seen the movie and had no suspicion that it was not Walter. But I think it could it could be fifty fifty, like depending on the person, because you mm -hmm. could get to the end and be like, oh my god, like it's deep. Oh, well, oh man, there he there he goes again. <laughs> well, it's hard for you as someone who has seen the film. To know how that would have read. Yeah. But I feel like it also, it would be very easy to read as just like weird and uncomfortable because mm -hmm. there's no like Daniel screaming David in recognition, you know, yeah. like in punching her cryopod. It's just him dropping his accent. Oh, oh my gosh. No, I'm totally wrong. He does acknowledge himself as David because he has mother send a message to Waylon Yutani. And uses the code like David and then a series of numbers. So, so he's he. When does that happen? Almost immediately after Daniels is asleep. Ah, yes, but but. But not beforehand. Yeah. After. Yeah. So it's so, still it's after yeah. he he drops the accent and then he's like, David, series of numbers, mm -hmm. send a message. Okay, so we've established that the that the book follows the film pretty closely. There's no, there's not a lot of revelations, not a lot of stuff that gets filled in, not a lot of holes that get fixed. But we have to talk about someone who's very, very special to you. I was going to say, when are we going to stop pretending that I read the book for the podcast and didn't read the book just because I wanted to read every scene with Walter in it? <laughs> in my head, as disappointed as, as I was with these two films, it would still be worth it for me for Ridley to make a threequel prequel. <laughs> because in that movie, Walter is still alive. He Walter is still on the engineer's planet, and he's fixing up an engineer ship, and he's going to save Daniels. He's but it's going like, after him. It's like a 90s chick flick, and he's like, Hi, I'm Walter. I bet you want to know how I got myself in this position. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, Walter is totes alive on the engineer's Walter planet. is the only ray of sunshine he's... on that stormy planet. And yeah, he's in bad shape. He's missing a hand, plus what whatever other damage David did to him in the horrible fight. He's all busted up, but he fixes himself. He crawls around, he rebuilds himself. Oh man. And he goes after his to save his one in true the book, love. They... <laughs> <Daniels>. <laughs> 
in the book, and they live it happily seems ever like after it... <laughs> in the cabin that he helps her build. Oh. <laughs> that was too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, what what are some great Walter bits that are in the book that maybe aren't in the film? I'll tell you. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. Um, something that they don't. Well, let's let's go back in the movie. It's made semi obvious. I have some salt here. Semi obvious that the entire crew was made up of couples, married couples. Mm-hmm. In the book, it states outright only married couples are recruited for this type of mission. In the movie, you sort of realize that, but literally every other character states that they're married yeah. on camera, except for the gay couple. Yeah, because the the only the the scene that really revealed them as a couple was in the Last Supper. Uh, yeah, short which was deleted. That wasn't in the film. Yeah, and so you only like the only realization I got of that was like Hallett dies, uh, one of the husbands dies, mm-hmm. and then Lope is like freaking out. And I was in the theater like, are they <laughs> like squinting my eyes like gay? Yeah, I didn't even. Um... <laughs> I didn't. Even, I want to. I don't think I would have even suspected that in the film had I not already no. seen the yeah. uh, the other. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, I would have just thought they were friends. They were yeah, crewmates. So, but a little salty about it, but it's fine, don't worry. So I guess something that struck me in the book a lot more than than the movie is just not only has Daniels lost her husband in this horrible accident when they left Earth planning on having a life together, but she's immediately so alienated, alienated <laughs> from the rest of the crew in such a brutal way. Because now every interaction she has with them, it's always poor Daniels lost her husband. And what I'm getting to is that Walter is the only other, quote, person, unquote, Mm -hmm. that's sort of around who, like, doesn't have a partner and from some perspectives isn't going to be like poor Daniels because he's a robot, but he's definitely like poor Daniels, but Mm -hmm. just like in a very low key way. Yeah. So they're always together. They're like walking together when they're like on the planet, they're going on like Daniels and Walter. Yeah. Whenever they go anywhere, they're almost always together. It's almost never like Daniels goes off someplace by herself. Like even there's one time where she like gets an, I don't know if it's an order. Someone, I don't know, she gets up to go someplace in the, um, in the cathedral, and, like, Walter just, like, gets up to go with her, just, like, because they're, because they're best friends. But let's, one of the more significant changes from the movie to the book is at the beginning, right after Jacob dies, her husband. In the movie, she is like, I'm gonna go check on the terraforming equipment, and Walter is like, I will assist you, because I'm in love with you, or whatever. Um, (laughs) don't worry about it. In the book christian captain orders her to take a few days of rest and she's like i don't really want to do that i don't just want to sit around and he's like take a few days danny cry it out like he literally says cry it out and she's like um screw you but then like goes to her cabin because like she got ordered by her captain to be on leave um and walter comes and convinces her to basically just, like, sneak out and, like, go and do some work anyways. And he's, he's like, oh, you know, like, come on, like, like, I'll go with you. There aren't cameras most of where we're going. I don't know. And is like, anyways, even if Lope, who's the head of security, notices, like, I don't think he'll care. And he's definitely not going to, like, talk to Orem. And Orem has way more other stuff to worry about right now. And, like, it convinces her to leave with him. 
and they're just precious. Let me throw something out here at you. Mm-hmm. Aliens. Aliens. In Aliens, we learn that Ripley has lost a daughter. Yeah. Because she got lost out in space in her cryo chamber, and decades have passed, and she never... <gasps> it's Daniels! <laughs> See... <laughs> she never sees her daughter. So there's an arc in Aliens, outside of dealing with the aliens themselves, where Ripley has had that loss, and then she meets Newt, who has lost her parents, and... And then they kind they of becomes connect. a surrogate yeah. uh, family, and it's all very nice, and it's this nice character thing that develops alongside the Ooh, action boy. horror movie. <laughs> now, what they could have done in Alien Covenant is they could have played off that because you have with Daniels and Daniels Walter. loses her husband, but then Walter's her friend, and you could have had an arc through the movie that Walter's companionship b- brings something back to Daniels, and and Daniels obviously brings something to Walter because he's s- seeming to sort of move a little bit beyond his programming, maybe, and yeah. having these. But of course, they don't do any of that because what is Alien Covenant about? I don't know. It's a I big just need mess. them to be better friends so bad i just need yeah. my daniels walter sitcom where they're posing back to back with their arms crossed and they're both <laughs> like get a load of this guy i've got your back <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's why he's got to do the threequel prequel i've got your back it could almost make the whole prequel nonsense worthwhile but it would still have a tragic honestly alien it was worth it to have prometheus and this the slightly worse prometheus and then the rest of alien covenant if we do get walter (laughs) i'm gonna be honest with you right now (laughs) because here's the thing it would still have a tragic ending in that we know that whatever they would do in the third film to try to defeat the alien would be unsuccessful because we know from the original films Mm -hmm. But you could still bring Daniels and Walter back together and just have them at at the cabin. I just have, like, this shot in my head of, like, the opening of their sitcom where, like, Walter's trying to cook and he has, like, a plate of eggs, but he, like, he, like, does something wrong and they're, like, burned or something. Or he, like, puts, like, raw eggs on, like, Daniel's plate and they're, like, like, (laughs) (laughs) shwoopsie. Okay, but let's continue. Um, because I went through the book and I dog-eared every page where Walter does something precious, which is basically every time he speaks. Um, there's literally, like, two times where his name is mentioned where I didn't dog-ear the pages. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so, Walter is perfect, uh, and Daniels can tag along and everybody else can go to hell. Um, okay, so the funeral scene? It's mm-hmm. a little different because at first it's just um, it's just Walter and Daniels. If it had been two people, it would have been awkward. But Walter is less awkward than he is just like confused, shy, mm-hmm. a puppy. And so through their dialogue, it becomes evident that Daniels had asked Walter to come with her. And he is kind of like, I'm programmed with several like funerary whatever and she's kind of like i didn't want to be by myself but i don't know what i wanted you to do like sort of thing and then tennessee and ferris arrive and there's like a moment where walter is like relieved but not because he felt awkward because he's like oh like they'll be able to make her feel better than i can Mm -hmm. and i'm like "Mm, boy I guess the other, like, big change from the movie is after the scene where David, like, gives 
uh, Walter like a creepy first like recorder lesson. He gives one of the flutes to Walter, which I don't remember if he gives one of them to him in the movie or not. But um, then afterwards there's a scene where Walter and Daniels are like by themselves because everybody else has like gone off on like tiny missions or whatever or are trying to contact the ship. Um, and so they're just kind of chilling, and Walter's like, you know, you go to sleep, and Daniels, Daniels is kind of like, <laughs> yeah, right, buddy. Um, <laughs> and he starts, like, playing the flute, and he plays, like, two notes, and they're, like, horrible and awful, and he's, like, embarrassed. And then Daniels, like, really encourages him to keep going and keep trying, and he's like, I don't think you understand. I literally can't. Creation isn't built into my program, and that's not something I can do. And she's kind of like, nobody cares, robot. Play it. Just kidding. She's like, um, then just do trial and error, like, whatever, like, just keep going, it doesn't matter, like, pretend I'm not here. And so he, like, starts to try again, and, like, after, like, one more try, he starts playing something, and it sort of works. And he's, like, so happy and shocked, mm -hmm. because it was something that he had made, and it was his own, and he wasn't mm -hmm. so supposed to be able to do that. And he keeps going, so he's playing... And um, Daniel's, like, falls asleep where she is. Like, it's just such a pretty, like, lullaby. And it's just, like, such a sweet scene. Yeah. And then there's a line at the end about how his instrument wasn't powerful enough or, like, was too simple to fill the chamber with music. But he tried. And it's, <laughs> like, so nice. And then later, Daniel's is still sleeping. And he, like legitimately like brushes some hair off her face mm -hmm. and then one of the other sergeants comes in and shouts something and wakes her up and there's like a moment where walter is like this displeases me why <laughs> how could this be that i would be upset by her waking and i'm just like oh walter like i'll teach you how to make scrambled eggs <laughs> But there's not as intense of a... Um, I'm really into the scene where he comes out of nowhere to fight David after you think David's killed him. Mm -hmm. And he, like, screams at Daniels to leave. And she, like, hesitates and, he, and then he, like, d screams louder. Um, and that doesn't really happen in the book because there's some... One of the other sergeants is there. And so he's kind of like, go! And they both just, like, run away. And I was like, no, you have to hesitate. Otherwise it's... It means nothing. <laughs> so there's not the dramatic, like, him, like, literally throwing David, like, like to the ceiling, like, across the room off of Daniels and then being like, go! And then Daniels being like, but Walter, and him being like, no! Like, it's just like, they just run away. And I was kind of like, well, then that's all you're going to see of um, that ray of sunshine. Because, <laughs> yes, that is... That is <sighs> but I guess that's none of my business. Because that is a, an, an effective scene in the film. I it's, know. It's, it's so uh, moving. very heroic. Because and... he's like, go! Like, yeah. go! And she hesitates because she obviously she cares for him Walter. in some way. She doesn't want to just leave him behind, robot or not. And and then, of course, and then you get a you know, pretty exciting action sequence as the two androids Yeah, because it preps you so much for this intense... Roboto, roboto. Yeah. <laughs> Robot fight, because you're like... Because when he starts screaming at Daniels, you're like, oh, oh, it's about to go down. Oh, man. In the, um, in the movie, Daniels, like, stabs that nail, like, pointlessly into David's chin, and mm -hmm. in the, um, in the book... She shoves that thing right in his eye. And I was like, Whoa. Daniels, get it. <laughs> like, oh my God. But then he like takes it out and his eye like repairs itself. And I was like, whoa. But, and so when... 
when when David like attacks her finally and like has her pinned down on the table when they have that nice you know innocent intimate moment just kidding that was creepy okay right after he kisses her in the movie she like steps she has the nail on her neck that like mm -hmm. reminds her of Jacob for whatever and she um stabs it into his chin yeah so in the book she stabs it in his eye and he still is kind of like but he still just doesn't really care he's mm -hmm. like he still is like that's the spirit and takes it out Except in the movie, he doesn't take it out because it's in his chin. Who cares? But still, he takes it out and his eye, like, repairs itself. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, <laughs> you can just do that? You don't need a new eye, bud? Even for a robot? That's a little much. I wish there was more to talk about, but it'll just be a lot of me saying that Walter is a ray of sunshine. In reading the book, did it make you think of anything in the film in a different light? That you thought, oh, I understand why they did that that way, or... Oh, before the end, when Orem finds David, like, creepily, like, blowing onto the Neomorph that's just mm -hmm. killed one of the... <laughs> Blow on a horse's nostrils and he's yours for life. <laughs> <laughs> what is this movie about? This I don't story? know. Horses? Lawrence of Arabia? Who can tell? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he's blowing on the Neomorph, and the Neomorph is like, uh, whoa. <laughs> that, that's literally what it's going, whoa. Um, and uh, Orem like, stumbles upon him and is mm -hmm. like, oh, you're screwed up, and leads him down. And in the movie, basically, is immediately attacked by a face hugger. Like, David's like, look in this egg. It's totally safe. And he's like, okay. And just, like, sticks his head over it. And everyone's like, here it comes. And then, pfft, there it was. There's several instances before that specific part where David did something and didn't hurt him and could have. I'm doing a bad job explaining it. Basically... The reader and Orem are lulled into this, into a little bit of a sense of security mm -hmm. because first he like, he's explaining what he, you know, he's doing his like, um, his like Bond villain, like this is what I've been doing, this, this is my life's work. Yeah. And he tosses Orem an egg, um, like a face hugger egg, whatever, mm -hmm. but it's petrified. But there's still a moment where Orem catches it and then he's like, why did I do that? And he's like afraid that something is gonna happen. And David's like, "Haha, you silly man! It's petrified." That's exactly what he says. <laughs> and Orm's kind of like, "Okay," and like puts it down. And then he looks into a different egg. He looks into an egg before the egg that actually gets him. And David's like, "Don't be silly! It's petrified again!" Ah ha ha! And this is like the the big egg. The, mm -hmm. the egg he tosses him is like a tiny like embryo, basically. Mm -hmm. And then he looks into like one of the big eggs. And it's fine, and it's like, it looks like it's about to jump out and get him, but nothing moves, and he's like, okay. And then they, like, go down to where the real eggs are, and there's, like, this moment where David, like, puts, it's kind of weird, like, I was kind of out of place. He puts, like, ointment under his nose, and then is like, take some ointment, it smells bad down there. You know, like, <laughs> obviously he gives, he gives more of an explanation than that. But, um, he, that's literally what happens. Is that he's like, yeah. it smells, this will neutralize the stank of my creations. And, uh, Orem's kind of like, I'm not touching some nasty ointment that you are handing me out of nowhere. And David's like, it's fine. It smells like lavender. And then like, just like wipes some on Orem's fingers. But from Orm's perspective, he's just considering this as like a potential threat, I guess. And so from his perspective, 
David could have again hurt him, I guess. Cream of <laughs> alien. <laughs> and so but he's, he kind of smells it and he's like, oh, it does smell like lavender. And then because then they go down there and he's like, this smells like straight ammonia. And he like puts it under his nose and he's like, oh, that's better. Literally, it's like a whole thing. Yeah. I have no idea why. Um, And then David's like, look in this thing. It's safe. And he sort of... Like, he tries not to... He doesn't put his whole face over the thing. Like, he sort of just, like, peeks in. Like, he's still nervous. But, of course, it gets him. Yeah. Because they're fast. It's... They're quick! So, the whole idea that you've just seen this android, like, trying to communicate with this scary monster thing that's just ripped the head off of one of your crew members. Yeah, and then you shoot it, and he displays the most emotion of, like, any android from Wayland yutani like, ever. Yeah, but then you just go along with him and, and look into creepy, squishy things. Uh, multiple times. Yeah. Which is uh, fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. To be honest, though, like, if you're, if you're trying really hard not to think while you're watching it, it's, it's kind of fun. It's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> that is all the time we have for this episode because Walter was robbed wrongly of his life. Uh, tune in next time for episode 44, The A2s Always Were a Bit Twitchy, part two of our multi-part alien retrospective as we discuss the classic original alien and its classic sequel aliens. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from space, where, unfortunately, you can hear David playing his flute. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come, come back, back next time. time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny. <laughs>